welcome to the State of Combat with the Brian Campbell. This is your Royal Rumble Instant Analysis Edition. Now me, you know my voice. It's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And being candid with you folks, we ran into a little bit of an issue last night coming out of the Royal Rumble, taping this instant analysis for you. BC happens to be under the weather coming off of that long vacation and that extra stop in Orlando. Seems like he has a little bit of the flu, so we decided to push it to Monday morning. BC woke up again, didn't really feel well. I called Jack, who subbed in two weeks ago. Jack was not available, so it's your boy, the Silver King, somewhat riding solo on this edition of the State of Combat Instant Analysis, and because of that, I'm going to keep this rather short. So before we get into the Royal Rumble, everything you need to know coming out of that event, be sure to send BC a tweet at bcampbellcbs. Tell him you hope he's feeling better. I'm sure he'll read those. I'm sure he'll feel better. I know there are two more podcasts on tap the rest of the week. BC wants to do an MMA podcast, I believe, on Tuesday, featuring Brandon Wise, wrapping up that Bellator card from the weekend. And then we will be back on Wednesday with our regular WWE show, pro wrestling show, as it were, with the Silver King and BC Brian Campbell uh, breaking it all down. It is at that point in that Wednesday show that we will talk NXT TakeOver Phoenix. Don't really want to get into that without Brian, but I do want to make sure you guys have something to chew on coming out of the Royal Rumble on Sunday night. Now, we had 10 matches on this card, and really, we're going to work back to front, starting with the 30-man Royal Rumble match. You had Seth Rollins winning by eliminating Braun Strowman with that stomp to the back of the head on the ring apron, knocking the big man down. And, you know, that match went 57-35. Uh, solid, solid match. I think BC actually graded it a B on our uh, analysis that you can read with grades on CBSSports.com. And that's really the right grade for this match. To me, the both Royal Rumbles, when you look at both of them combined, they just lacked not so much star power, but surprise power. And while as someone who watches NXT, I do enjoy all those NXT names showing up, there's something to be said when the only two real surprises in that match were Jeff Jarrett at number two, who lasted no time, and Nia Jax coming out at number 30, which, trust me, we will talk about shortly. But other than them, you had Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunne, Aleister Black, and Dolph Ziggler. I would say out of all of them, Aleister Black probably got the biggest moment in being able to eliminate Dean Ambrose. That was pretty solid. And it kind of does speak to the fact that this guy should probably be on the main roster sooner than later, maybe after this halftime heat show that they're doing uh, Super Bowl Sunday at halftime. Uh, other than that, you know, it was a solid match. The big One of the biggest detractors for me was the fact that New Day barely got any time in the ring. And even when they did, it was kind of sloppy. No one really got eliminations. You know, I actually came into the match thinking, you know, Andrade might be someone interesting to put over, if not Rollins. But if neither of them, it would have been... Really interesting to see Big E there at the end, Kofi at the end, even Xavier Woods there at the end, because these guys as a tag team are getting pretty stale, and giving one of them a singles push would be nice. So the fact that we didn't not just see that, but we didn't see any semblance of anything close to that, that was disappointing for me. Now, BC did grade this uh, overall a B, and I, as I said, I do agree with that. Seth Rollins was the right person to win, and I am seeing some people on Twitter, online, saying... Hey, that was such a predictable finish. Well, I guess so, but if you are going to sit there and read Twitter, read the dirt sheets, listen to what Dave Meltzer has to say, and you know that the plan for WrestleMania is Seth Rollins against Brock Lesnar, 
well, then, yeah, you should probably expect Seth Rollins to win the Royal Rumble. But let's not act like Royal Rumble winners historically are not predictable. You know how many times Steve Austin won the Royal Rumble, yet HBK win the year that you expected HBK to win, the year that you thought Bret Hart would win? He did, as did Lex Luger. So let's not act like just because the Royal Rumble has randomized entrance, it is made to seem that somehow, you know, No Way Jose or Elias is going to win the Royal Rumble. That's generally not going to happen. You know, spare me that part of it. I thought the Rumble was enjoyable. The men's side, certainly not the best I've seen. Decent finish. And really... Yeah, they did a really good job with the Nia Jack spot. And I know people, some people are criticizing it because, oh, it's man on woman violence. And it's not. First of all, folks, it's wrestling. Second of all, Nia Jax inserted herself into the match. She chose to be there. She also got a ton of offense. And none of the moves that she really took from the guys were that violent, I guess is the best way to put it. Maybe the RKO a little bit. The 619 is nothing. She got tossed out of there pretty gently, pretty easily. And it was a really good spot. Better than Nia Jax actually being in the match and what she did there, it provided the perfect distraction for us as viewers to legitimately forget that Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins were at ringside because your attention was focused on something completely different, something else. Had that been a surprise entrant, like a Tatanka, let's say, you're not really going to stop thinking about those other two. But I was totally fixated on, hey, what the hell is going on with Nia Jax at number 30 in the Men's Royal Rumble? And when they came back and they said, hey, you know, there's only two left, Andrade and Dolph Ziggler, I knew that wasn't the case. But at the same point, like, I forgot Braun Strowman didn't get eliminated, and I knew Seth Rollins was on the side, but we hadn't seen him, you know, for 15, 20 minutes. So... I thought they actually booked the Men's Royal Rumble pretty damn well, and I was obviously pleased with the result. You know, the one thing that you can say about both Royal Rumbles, and we'll get to it a little bit more uh, with the women's, is there were no call-outs. No one made their designated, you know, challenges for WrestleMania, and considering this promos that Seth Rollins has been cutting over the last few weeks on Raw, you kind of expected him to just grab a mic and make that challenge. Same with the Women's Royal Rumble winner, but we will get to that. Uh, coming up, number two in the co-main event of this show was the Universal Championship match between Brock Lesnar uh, and Finn Balor. That went 840 and was actually the shortest match on the entire show, which is really not to be uh, not much of a surprise uh, when you have a Brock Lesnar match on a pay-per-view. BC gave it an A- in his grade, and really, I probably agree with that. Maybe a B-plus, A-. Look, I loved the amount of offense that Finn Balor was able to get in that match. I loved the attacking style from the very beginning, I had two major problems. He hits, I think, three t- Tope Conhilos. Brock's back in the ring. He hits the diving uh, you know, drop kick into the corner to knock him down. Hits his finisher, the coup de grace. And he gets a 2.1 count. I mean, Brock legitimately didn't even sell a f- that flurry of offense, which was meant to put Finn Balor over. And this is not usually an issue with... Brock Lesnar not selling things because you've seen him against Daniel Bryan and you've seen him against AJ Styles. He will sell. That wasn't the issue in general. But in this match, it was an issue for me. Balor got a 2.1 count. Brock very quickly kicked out. And then he quickly locked him into the Kimura Lock submission. I believe it was a Kimura Lock. Tapped him out. I was okay with the tap out finish. It kind of keeps Balor a little bit strong when you consider the fact that he did not get pinned by Brock Lesnar, and it does put on the table a potential Lesnar versus Demon Balor match at some point in the future. I don't know when that will be with WrestleMania so close and with Rollins likely challenging for that title, but it is something to think about, and it is something to consider. And the only other point that 
I actually had an issue with, and I was told roundly that I was incorrect. So I'm, I'm saying that right off the top. I didn't mind the fact that Lesnar was frustrated from nearly losing to Balor and picked him up and did a move. Had he hit one F5 and walked out in disgust, I would have been cool with it. I just didn't necessarily feel like three German suplexes and an F5 to completely lay out Balor and have him just like withering there at the end of a decent eight-minute run in that match made a lot of sense. It felt like all the work they did to build Balor up in the match just got completely squandered by once again trying to put Brock Lesnar over as a beast. So I'm really curious to see where this heads. Personally, I'm just probably going to guess that Balor gets into the Intercontinental title picture. Maybe maybe we get Demon Balor against Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania. That would make a lot of sense. And putting the Intercontinental title on Finn Balor would be a really good thing to do with it. If somehow he's never had a mid-card title in WWE, despite being the first ever Universal Champion. Uh, you know, maybe that's just because the title has been marred in this never-ending, you know, Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler, Dean Ambrose feud for the last calendar year. But still, I think that would do Balor well. And he did look great in this match, and the fans went absolutely nuts for him. It was just clear, once he got that initial flurry of offense, he wasn't going to win the match. Because usually, if you're going to be Brock, it's something that surprises late, not is able to build throughout. And they're not going to let someone like Finn Balor run through Brock the way Goldberg did, obviously, in their meeting. Uh, before that was the WWE Championship match between Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. BC graded that a C, and that's probably correct. Maybe even a little generous, C minus. Let's make this very simple. It was a 24-minute match where not much happened. There were a couple really good moves. Um, there was some decent psychology, you know, from the Daniel, the new Daniel Bryan character throughout. But the crowd was absolutely dead coming out of the Women's Royal Rumble, so that's not their fault, but it's true. And it was a schmoz finish with the return of Rowan um, wearing a, you know, lumberjack plaid shirt and looking very much like Daniel Bryan. And likely, whether it's his heavy, whether it's the start of a new stable, whether it's the start of a new faction, fingers crossed, God forbid they put four people together. uh, We don't know. I don't know. Uh, But what I can tell you is I didn't mind Rowan being in Bryan's corner. What I minded was that they knew that was the finish. So the quality of the match, you know, they didn't put together the quality match that we knew was possible coming from them. And it's disappointing when you think about AJ having that run with Shinsuke Nakamura. I think they had four matches that were on pay-per-view, and one of them was really good. Now you have Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, you know, having another match, and it's like, oh, I want to see a five-star classic from these guys. We know they can deliver it. And we just get a C match when you should really never get a C match between these two. And it should never come following a women's Royal Rumble that was 72 minutes long. It was bad placement. The crowd was dead. Daniel Bryan cut a fantastic promo about the silent crowd that you can catch on WWE's Twitter account and probably their YouTube as well. Go out and seek that. The real question, though, is, you know, what does the situation mean with Rowan? Don't really have an answer for you. Um, As I said, I'm intrigued. And I will wait and see because everything that's happening with the new Daniel Bryan character is working. But, you know, also, we didn't get the match that we really felt we deserved. And to be candid with you, it kind of brought the card overall down, the the card as a whole. Because you're coming off high after the first three really damn good matches on the main card. You knew it would close strong, and it did, with an A-minus Universal Championship match, according to Bryan, and a B-Men's Royal Rumble match. I agree with both of those. But right in the middle... 
You had two matches that just did not deliver the way they should have, and that was certainly a disappointment. So before that WWE Championship match was the 30-woman Royal Rumble. Uh, Obviously, we had Becky Lynch come out on top as the winner, eliminating Charlotte Flair last, despite selling an injured knee that she hurt initially in her Women's Championship match with Oscar earlier in the show, and Charlotte was able to really get on that throughout. Now, the women's match did have more surprise entrance, but again, just like the men's match, it was mostly women from NXT, and really there weren't any announcements or any entrance where you, like, sat up in your seat and said, oh, wow, that's really cool. And that's the biggest issue with both of these Royal Rumbles. There were really very few moments, and that's what we're going to talk about here. So for the women, you had Lacey Evans, Nikki Cross, Zia Lee, Kyrie Sane, Maria Kanellis, Casey Kentanazaro, Candice LeRae, Io Shirai, and Rhea Ripley. Now, Rhea Ripley in this match looked like a damn star. She looked like she could have been on the main roster, going toe-to-toe with Charlotte Flair, going toe-to-toe with any of the women. She is a great body type, a fantastic look. She's really good in the ring, and it showed there was a star in the making there. Obviously, Kyrie Sane and Io Shirai were fantastic in their moments. But the standout, look... I'm going to be honest. It was Casey Cantanazaro, and it's for all the reasons that, you know, she, you know, was she won American Ninja Warrior. Uh, she is able to do these gymnastics, athletic type of moves that just you don't really see. She did a, a back handstand on the top rope before, I think, hit, hitting a hurricanrana into the ring. Um, she nearly got eliminated, did a handstand to the ring post, wrapped her legs around the ring post. This is where BC would have the zipper sound effect. Uh, and then climbed up the ring post with her legs and arms and jumped back in the ring. It was really damn cool. Obviously, you had Naomi pull something similar, handstand uh, to the back wall, you know, walked across it like a tightrope, and then leapt from the wall to the steps to get back into the ring. Very nice spots. The problem is, the match as a whole, it was 72 minutes. It did not need to be 72 minutes. It felt like every minute of those 72 minutes. And... You, the entire time, as you're getting late in the match, you're calculating in your head which women that we know are on the roster have not entered yet, right? And you knew who they were. And you knew Nia Jax was going to come out. You had these, right? So you hit 26, and you know they haven't announced Alexa Bliss yet. You know you haven't seen Bailey. You know you haven't seen Nia Jax. You know you haven't seen Carmella, who's set for number 30. And you know you haven't seen Lana. Now, candidly, I did watch the entire pre-show. I completely forgot that Lana hurt her ankle. So when they initially hit her music, I said, wow, they're really not going to do the Becky Lynch thing. This is surprising. Then they immediately show you the wrapped leg. Then you start to understand, ah, right, this is the spot they're going to do. Now, while you can make the argument about, hey, should Lynch really have been in this match and kayfabe doesn't make a lot of sense, I thought the way they booked this was fantastic and it was the best part of the match because you had Lana legitimately trying to make it to the ring you know, in kayfabe, really trying hard, not just giving up, not having Lynch take her out, but you had her try, they finished the entrance, and then Lynch comes out and says, look, she can't go, I want to be in the match, you only have 29 women in there, and it just so happens that Countryman, Fit, Fit Finley, was the agent for this match. Perfect. So, Becky not only gets to, you know, convince a regular agent, or you know, Shane McMahon or or an authority figure, she's literally talking to a fellow Irishman and able to say, look, put me in, put me in coach. I want to, I want to play. I, you know, I want to be in the rumble. She gets the opportunity, is able to go into the match and did a really damn good job. Better than actually winning was her selling. 
Uh, she sold the hell out of the knee injury. She was able to eliminate Nia Jax. I kind of wish that was a bigger moment. Uh, she did go in the ring initially and like punch her in the face five times. That was cool. It would have been really nice to see her get all of her aggression out on Nia Jax. Just cut that storyline clean um, and then move on and eventually eliminate Charlotte Flair as she did, which was a good finish. And folks, if you didn't think the man was over, all you had to do was listen to the crowd reaction when her when she came out initially to see Lana, the crowd reaction again when her music hit and she made her way to the ring, and then the crowd reaction when she won. She is damn over Becky Lynch has it. Uh, and besides Becky Lynch, the one you know announcement uh, uh, entrant in that match that really surprised me was Bailey. Not because she was great, we know she's great, but WWE has really spent the last year, year and a half you know, not burying her, but not giving her the best booking. And fans have not really had a, a chance or a reason to cheer for her. And what did we see in that match? We saw Bailey, the second her music hit, get roundly cheered. The hugger section signs returned. That's lining up great for this women's tag team title situation. Hopefully her and Sasha Banks, they don't need to win the titles initially, but it would be really nice for them to go over and win the women's tag team championships at uh, WrestleMania, maybe in the first defense of them from the new champions. I'm excited to see what they do with that. So the Women's Royal Rumble, Brian gave it a C. I do agree with that. It was just average, especially coming out of last year where it was so perfectly planned. They would so many great old stars in there, like obviously a Trish Stratus and then Michelle McCool. I mean, we didn't get any. There were none. If you want to count Maria Kanellis, you can. Um, the spot with her and Alicia Fox was just eye-rolling, terrible. Uh, so I don't really count it because, like I said, not very good, uh, and it did go on 72 minutes, which was certainly way too long. Preceding that was the Raw Women's Championship match between Ronda Rousey and Sasha Banks, folks, and if you know your boy, the Silver King, I was amped up for this match, deservedly so, because these two, it was like nonstop action. Loved every second of it. Uh, the fact that, you know, Sasha was able to put in the armbar that... Rousey just came up with a you know a variety of submission maneuvers to try to take Banks out. Sasha got in a ton of offense in the match, looked like a total star. It was a really solid match from both. BC gave it a B plus. It's really the perfect grade, especially when you compare it to the SmackDown Women's Championship match that opened the show. Uh, really solid match. Obviously, in the end, Ronda Rousey won. She actually got her first pinfall victory that I can remember in WWE. By hitting the Piper's Pit, I think, and then, you know, doing a little side bridge to get the 1-2-3 to pin Sasha Banks' shoulders down. And I kind of liked that, because Banks then didn't have to tap out. Really, for all the reasons I liked Balor getting submitted by Lesnar earlier, I liked Rousey pinning, pinning Banks here. Because it didn't seem like she wholeheartedly beat her. It's just, she slipped up in that moment, Rousey got the win. And then they told a really good story after the match that definitely makes you wonder what the hell WWE is doing with the storyline going forward. Because you had Rousey kind of feeling bad, helping Sasha up. Sasha kind of accepting it, kind of not. Not really wanting to shake Rousey's hand. Sasha Banks walks to the back. And as she's almost there, she turns around to come back. Gives Ronda like a half-hearted handshake. And then holds up the four. For four horsewomen. Really, really interesting. Now, certainly we have WrestleMania coming up. You have Becky Lynch, who is surely going to challenge Ronda Rousey for the Raw Women's Championship. You're going to expect Charlotte Flair to insert herself in that match in some way. So those are two of the four horsewomen. Now you have Sasha Banks and Bailey, who don't have a title. They're probably going to be in this tag team elimination chamber match to crown the first ever women's champions. 
don't necessarily know if they're going to win. And then you have Shayna Baszler, still the NXT Women's Champion, along with uh, Marina Shafir and Jessamyn Duke down in NXT, and they haven't been called up yet. So I don't necessarily know what's going to happen with them either. So it's just really interesting to see what WWE is going to do with this storyline. Uh, is it something they're just going to continue through 2019, uh, maybe into 2020, and they're just telling a little piece of business here? That would be very cool, but we just don't know at this time. Now, we do have a couple matches left, but before we get to those, I will be right back for them after a quick word. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, we are back as promised, and we're going to roll right on to the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, where you had The Miz and Shane McMahon defeat the bar to become the new champions. That match went 13-20. BC gave it a B, and that is the perfect grade again for it. Look. Here's the truth. I am continuously surprised by how well Shane McMahon wrestles every time I see him in the ring. And the fact that this match ended with a shooting star press from like a 49-year-old son of the owner of WWE was seriously impressive. They continued the storytelling with Miz's father being proud of him and and Shane for being champions. Miz continued working like a pure babyface. It was a really good match. And it wasn't just that moment. The entirety of the match was good. Bar, the bar got in their standard amount of offense, looked like the dominant team throughout, but Miz and Shane worked very well together. Uh, they had the nice, you know, coordinated uh, baseball, you know, jerseys, basically, to open to open the show, uh, to open their entrance to the ring. And it worked for me. I, I told you guys weeks ago, I did not think this was going to work. It's working. They're, they're proving me wrong. And, you know, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, I guess the best thing I can say is... It gives the SmackDown Tag Team Championship picture a little bit of new life, but I really don't think things are going to change for the SmackDown Tag Team titles and the Raw Tag Team titles until after the Superstar Shakeup. The truth is, there is just too much talent on SmackDown with New Day, Bar, Usos. Now you have these guys as Tag Team Champions. You still have Sanity over there. You still have Gallows and Anderson over there not being used. And then you look over at Raw and basically what they did with the Raw tag team titles on the show, which we'll get to very briefly at the end of this. And it just shows that an influx of talent on Raw is drastically needed and they need to even things out on both brands, get some new fresh matchups. There is plenty of talent in WWE in the tag team division. It's just so unbalanced and it, it it's so stale that they need to figure out a way to freshen things up and make the titles matter more on both shows. Now, the Royal Rumble main card opened with the SmackDown Women's Championship. That was between Asuka and Becky Lynch. That match, by the way, went 17-10. BC gave it an A-. I thought he nailed the grade again. It was, folks, a great match. Asuka and Becky Lynch worked great together. The fact that each was able to lock in the other submissions, then they hit their own. Uh, you saw Beck Sploders from you know, inside the ring, outside the ring, into the barrier, from the top rope. You saw Asuka. I don't even know what kind of suplex or maneuver it was, but from the ring apron, kind of slamming Becky onto the the concrete floor, that looked rough. And and I'm, you know, really happy that Becky survived that because it did look bad. Um, And then you even had Asuka locking in the Asuka lap 
Asuka lap, Asuka lock on the ring ropes, which was cool as well. You obviously got an eventual tap out finish where uh, Asuka, you know, well, Becky Lynch almost pinned Asuka. Asuka kind of reversed it and then like wrenched her head backwards in a unique submission maneuver that I don't think I've necessarily seen before with an arched back. Very cool. Becky Lynch tapped. It saved Becky from getting pinned, which was really smart. It also, you know, didn't overly sell the leg, which was then able to get attacked further in the in the Women's Royal Rumble later in the show, which was good storytelling, kind of carrying that through. I did appreciate that. They, you know, for, for all the criticisms we can give WWE on week-to-week storytelling, they did a very good job during the Royal Rumble itself, this pay-per-view, of continuing storylines from the kickoff show through, uh, from the main card itself going into what's going to be Raw and SmackDown this week. Uh, They just did a really solid job of, you know, these little tiny tidbits that matter. I always talk about the little things that matter in WWE, and this is an example of a show where they actually did that. Now, we did have three kickoff matches. None were overly important. It closed with the Cruiserweight Championship Fatal 4-Way between Buddy Murphy, Akira Tozawa, Hideo Itami, and Kalisto. It was an opportunity to give Itami the title. They decided not to do that. Buddy Murphy won with Murphy's Law. Fine. Match was 12.05. BC gave it a B+. I think that's actually a little generous. I'd probably give it a B despite the really solid action. They didn't really have enough time for a B-plus match, and Fatal 4-Way is always difficult to do that anyway. You also had Shinsuke Nakamura defeat Rusev for the United States Championship in the second match of this kickoff show. In 10-15, BC gave it a C-plus, and that's probably the right grade. Uh, I thought the finish was great. You know, Lana got hurt. Rusev got distracted. Shinsuke hit Kinshasa to the back of Rusev's head and regained the title. That's how it works. That's how heels win. Um, The one thing I will say about NXT TakeOver that I didn't get the opportunity to say on the show, because I'm not really talking about it, I'm trying to get you through these matches relatively relatively quickly. Heels went over in NXT on Saturday night, and while they were dastardly in their means, they did things that maybe a babyface would not do. They didn't cheat. And this is an example of that. Shinsuke Nakamura took advantage of a situation without cheating and won as a heel to regain the title. That's the opposite of what happened in the Daniel Bryan AJ Styles WWE Championship match, which is perhaps one of the reasons I didn't like that as much. Had Rowan just been there and distracted AJ, or distracted him and then he regained his composure, but Daniel Bryan hurt AJ and then was able to take advantage of that later to win, that would have been better than Rowan basically just head choke slamming him and Brian covering him for the 1-2-3 without even hitting his running knee. Didn't even really hit a finisher, so that was just sloppy, and I did forget to mention that earlier. So, Nakamura went over, he's the new champion. It is interesting, by the way, that Asuka and Shinsuke Nakamura both won the tw- their respective 2018 Royal Rumble matches, lost at WrestleMania, and now a year later in the Royal Rumble, both left as champions. Just something that I kind of thought about. They opened the kickoff show with this really weird raw tag team match where you had the champions Bobby Roode and Chad Gable going up against Rezar from AOP and Scott Dawson from The Revival. And it was only explained earlier, like a few minutes earlier, that Drake Maverick spoke to someone, because there's no general manager anymore, spoke to someone on Raw and got this match made because Akam's injured. And if that mixed if that mixed tag team was to win, they both would get a future Raw tag team title shot down the line. Well, the match went seven minutes. They lost, and there's no tag team title shot down the line. I don't know what they're doing with the Raw tag team division. It is terrible. Um, Man, if the Revival won out, go. Like, just leave. And it's not because I don't like them. I do. 
I like seeing them on TV. I think they're very good in-ring technicians. Um, but I think they'd be very good in-ring technicians in Japan. If they did want to go to AEW, it's fine with me. I don't think WWE loses anything by losing the Revival is really what I'm trying to say. They have plenty other tag teams that can fill in those gaps and be good in-ring technicians and probably entertain us a little bit more on the show. That's not to say anything against them. I do like them. I'm trying to make that very clear. It's just I don't necessarily know that we need to shoehorn them in five weeks in a row to keep them happy when they're not really bringing much to the table and you're not going to put the titles on them. So that's really my take on that. I think you could definitely mix up the tag team picture. As I said earlier, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable are definitely growing on me as a team. They have that backbreaker moonsault finisher that's pretty cool. Um, and I'd like to see it more. I'd like to see them actually defend the titles. I'd like to see them on WWE TV. Maybe they'll get a match at Elimination Chamber. Now, we just ran through the Royal Rumble. As I said, we are going to save the NXT TakeOver Phoenix analysis for Wednesday's show when BC returns. Hopefully healthy. Hopefully able to talk. Um, we will take your DM slides, so feel free to hit us up at State of Combat on Twitter, at Silverstein Adam, at B Campbell CBS if you want. Uh, hit us up, please. Five star reviews on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcasts. Those matter to us. The road to WrestleMania, folks, is just beginning. I'm excited to be along for the ride. We will be in New York to celebrate, to watch the big show. Maybe we'll have something fun planned. Maybe not. We're still trying to figure that out. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Let me know if you're going to the show. And if you are, if you'd want to do something with your boys BC and the Silver King and the State of Combat, maybe a show, maybe a meet and greet. I don't know. Let us know. But for now, it's your boy, the Silver King. And you know I have just two words for you. We out.